0: Amen. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 Peter. I think this is up to about our sixth message as we're going through. Um, if you like titles and you had to put one on it, you could say something like, uh, Live Unto Righteousness, or Living Unto Righteousness, if you want a more active verb. Thus far in the book, we've had two different words to describe two different words. Reactions or two different groups of people. In chapter 1 and verse 14, again Peter's writing to believers, he says, As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. On one hand you have a response of obedience, and then now in chapter 2 we've gotten down and we're looking at Jesus as this lively stone, the one that the builders said, Nah, we don't want that one. He's the one that the Lord has made the head and chief corner, and everything is built off of him. Well, what's the response to him? Unto you, therefore, you the obedient and the elect, therefore, which believe, he is precious, valuable. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them that stumble at the word being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. So you have... A trademark, a characteristics of what you will see. One who is a born-again elect child of God to Christ, he will be and you will see evidence in his life of obedience. To one who is not elect or has not been born again, if they are elect, you will see disobedience. Okay? Once you are born again, do not be content to remain in disobedience. That is not what you have been called to. Okay. We have been called to obedience you know that's why it's talking about obedient children not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance when you were dead in trespasses and sins you had no spiritual life you had no knowledge of god there was a way you acted you acted just like the world Ephesians would describe them as being children of wrath children of disobedience all right that's one way and then there's a way that we are called to to obedience right and those who believe and recognize that Jesus Christ is Lord he's precious he's valuable well you love him and you want to do what he says and to please him all right so that's just kind of jumping us into where we're back out in chapter two we've looked at this stone of a of a offense Jesus Christ being you know it's like that that building stone of what of what is the rest of the building Straight off of them. You've got that chief cornerstone, right? Everything else, down and up and left, right, and sideways, is going to be based on the straightness of that stone. Well, Jesus Christ is that stone. Everything builds off him. And when he was there and in person, he, they didn't want him, right? That's not what they wanted. They wanted somebody else. They wanted somebody to overthrow the shackles of Rome, to defeat this political enemy. They didn't want a mild, meek, humble Savior, right? Wasn't there a, they didn't, he didn't fit their anticipated model. Right, but he was perfect, and he is perfect, and to you and I, he is precious. And so, if he's the framework of which everything else has to be based on been straight, then I need to be looking at him and seeing what did he do, and am I following that pattern? Right, you know, that, that word upright. Right, he is upright. He is perfect. I mean, straight up and down. Right, y'all often we're crooked. Right, we're warped. We're distorted. We cannot be like this and say, "Well, I'm doing it just right." Well, I really like it this way, so it must be right. No. I've been doing this a long time, so it must be right. Mom and Daddy did it this way, so it must be right, right? There's a lot of things we can convince ourselves of, well, if my preference or whatever, I can take a distorted view and try to claim that it's right. What's right is Christ. He's the standard. Everything has to be based off Him. And it's not your imagination of Him, it's what is revealed about him from his word. This is how we learn about him, right? From what he has spoken through his word. All right? So he is precious to us. Unto them which be disobedient, they come to him, they stumble. They say, no, don't want that. Can't have that. The carnal thing to a carnal mind, the preaching of the cross is just foolishness, right? From one who's not been born again, they come in here, they listen to somebody preaching, talking about this. Individual who we claim is God, and is God, that died and rose again as living still, they'll think I'm an idiot. And to the carnal mind, yeah, it's lunacy. But it's only by the grace of God that you're able to believe that's true. That's a gift from God. Okay? So unto us that believe He is precious, Jesus is precious, highly valuable, unto them they stumble at Him. Right? Hate Him. You look at how Jesus is referenced in media today. Right? His name is a byword. It means a curse word, profanity. Um, he's mocked. I mean, even in any other tiers of religion, there is a certain level of things you don't go against. Right? You don't make fun of Muhammad. You don't make fun of Buddha, whatever. That, that of what it's okay to do in the media, but Christ is fair game. Right? They stumble up, They don't care. Right? But he can change them. And then you see how wonderful and precious He is. So, you who do care, you for whom He is precious, verse 9 says, But ye, you, not those that be disobedient still, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. This is a lot of descriptions about the same folks. He's talking about you, it's talking about me, it's talking about every other believer in time. Ye are a chosen generation. All right, let's talk about that word chosen. Elsewhere, that word is translated as elect. It actually appears four different times. The same Greek word appears four times here in Peter alone. Go back to chapter one, verse two. Elect, according to the foreknowledge of God. We spend a whole sermon talking about that, and that's talking about individually. God knew you, chose you, not by anything good that you've done, right? We were talking about Jacob and Esau. Jacob really, he was a shyster, right? If you've been reading your Bible and you get to where Jacob's just tricking his brother, I mean, he was of the two. Naturally, we would not have picked Jacob for being the one, right? But God chose them before they were born, having done neither good or evil, having done neither good or evil that the purpose of election, according to God, might stand, right? He makes a choice. by his own sovereign power, right? And so that's what we talked about there in chapter 1 and verse 2. Talking about us as individuals. It's also referenced down in 2.4 when talking about Christ. That Christ was chosen. He was given a purpose and a role. Chapter 2 verse 4. To whom coming as unto a limbing stone disallowed indeed of men but chosen of God. Same word. Elected. Chosen. Selected of God. So you've got two different contexts with election. One talking about the people of God and of one of Jesus and his role that God had determined. God himself, God the Father and God the Son, they determined this was going to be the role. He was chosen of God. He didn't take a vote. Men didn't say, yeah, we want him to be our leader. No, Baba. God chose. And he is God. So that's what it is there in 2.4. It shows up again down in 2.6. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, same word, precious, and him that believeth on him shall not be confounded, That means confounded. It means you won't be ashamed. You ever put your faith in something? All these folks who put a lot of money into cryptocurrency, right? And they're bragging, oh man, it's going to be great. Where are they right now? They're a little ashamed. They're a little confounded. Something they put faith in that it was going to be good and pan out has fallen flat. The illustration of that, I'm not knocking cryptocurrency, I don't care. But the point is, you have Christ. He will never fall flat. You will never be ashamed of saying, I am associated with Him. It's not going to get to the end like, oh, well, there's not enough. There's not enough for you. You've missed the boat, right? Go on a ferry, only get so many cars on there, you get to the edge, sorry, you've missed the boat, right? It's not going to be like that with Christ. He will get you. Everything that He has purchased with His blood, He will receive, alright? You won't be ashamed, okay? So He is elected. so when you get down here to verse 9, it circles back to us again. Those two are about Christ Himself, this one. But ye are a chosen generation. Who were you chosen by? You were chosen by God. You didn't choose Him. If it was up to you to do the choosing, you would have chosen yourself. right? And that's what you do do. And when, as long as you are dead in trespasses and sins, you choose me, your favorite idol. right? The big three. Me, myself, and I. And I'm going to serve them, and I'm going to please them, and whatever they want to do, I'm going to make sure it happens. right? To, to the exclusion of anything else. And so it's not because you're great, but it's in spite of you. That he chose you and made you of this generation a royal priesthood. Alright. Royal priesthood. One, you've got a description of your, your family. And the other, description of your role. You were adopted. You were adopted by a king. Now, if the king of England sent you adoption papers, you'd be like, man, that's pretty neat. Right? Now, I get a title... Maybe some land, a little bit of crown. That'd be fun, right? The king of all kings adopted you. And not only that, he had to pay a price to clean you up and make you worthy to be part of his family. And that price was the blood of Jesus Christ, right? You are kings. That's crazy. You are heirs to a great throne and inheritance and realm Not so much a throne, but to an inheritance. This royal inheritance that the king of all kings owns, and he has adopted you and calls you his brothers. Whoa! You're a chosen generation. The one that the world says, y'all are fools, and there's nothing to that, and you'll see it when you die. (laughs) Whereas you can stand on the other side of, no, I know my Lord. I've never seen him in person, but I know that he lives. And I know that He loves me. I know that He's with me all the time. What a Savior. Not only saving me, but keeping me and guarding me as that song is singing. What a Savior. What a friend we have. Right? That's who we have. We have been chosen to not only out of that darkness, but into His marvelous light. That's what I was going to say in just a minute. Chosen, but we've been adopted into His family. A royal family. But we're brothers to the King. Okay, But we also have a role. A royal priesthood. What's the priest's job? The priest's job is to worship. To worship God. To serve God. So, you have this nobility by who you've been adopted into their family, and you have a very high and mighty calling to worship Him. Okay, this is not something like... Okay, you remember back in Israel after they had split, and they started putting the golden cows in the north and the south, and they started putting priests in the role to worship Him. You know who they chose? The lowest of the low. Didn't matter who you were. You want to do the job? Sure, go ahead. You know, you can be just the worst of the worst. And that's how they described it. The lowest of the low person was who they put in that role as priest, right? There's no honor and dignity in that role of that worshiping that idol, okay? That's the exact opposite of what's here, right? He has raised you to a position of honor. A child of the king has been put in this honorable role of worshiping the king, Okay? That's where you are. You don't have to be walking around this world, well, I don't have this carnal thing, and I don't have that worldly thing, and I don't have... So what? Oh, that's going to burn up. But you have a wonderful, blessed occupation and job and calling in serving the mighty God who's also your Father. That's a great thing. You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, Right. And this is not referring to a political nation, but this is referring to a people that's broader than any one group. I mean, if you are a child of God, your brothers here can sit in America, they can sit in Mexico, they can sit in Europe, they can sit wherever. It's one nation, one family. That's where your allegiance lies. Okay. A peculiar people. Sometimes we use that word in our vernacular, peculiar is weird. And that's kind of true. To the carnal mind, we are weird. But that's not what this means. This this really means an acquisition. A particularly purchased acquisition. Who chose you? God chose you. What did He pay for you? He paid for His Son's blood to pay for each and every single one of your sins. He chose you and pulled you, brought you to Himself. A peculiar people. He purchased you. Why? That ye should show forth the praises of Him. Goes back to your role as a priest, right? What are you doing? You're showing forth the praises of Him. Who's Him? Him that called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. When you were dead in trespasses and sins. You were a slave to sin. That was all you knew. That was all you cared about. And you enjoyed it, and it was gross and it was vile. And He's pulled you out of that into His marvelous light to be His priest, His Son, the kingly role. Wow! And you get to show forth His praises. That's what you've been called to. Now, if you'll allow me just a slight tangent. I want to think about this word marvelous because we use it so cheaply today. Look at marvelous. Go to Revelation 15. Revelation chapter 15. I'm just going to read the first four verses. I saw another sign in heaven Great and marvelous. Seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. And I saw as it were a sea of glass mingled with fire. And them that had gotten the victory over the beast, and over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, stand on the sea of glass, having harps of God. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God. And the Song of the Lamb. All right, so there's two songs that they're singing here. Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord, God, Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy. For all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. There's going to be this great revealing. His judgments are going to be revealed. He is going to be seen by everyone that He only is holy. And His works are marvelous, marvelous to be in awe and wonder. I mean, just the sun. You ever looked up at the sun? You don't worship the sun, but He made that. And it's been working ever since. Comes up every day. It's so bright, you can't look at it without destroying your eyeballs. Right? And that's not a big deal for him. It's so marvelous. I mean, how about, how about your body? Right? Oh, Humans think they're smart. <laughs> Y'all seen their attempts to make a robot just to do a human walk? <laughs> Seriously, you, I mean, it's amazing how hard it is for us to mimic the most basic things that we can do naturally because of how he designed us. I I don't know, anatomy, Megan took all that in nursing school, whatever, but just looking up the number of organs, systems, subsystems, and how they all interact with each other and do it in an efficient way where we can't replicate any of this. We can't even understand it on an individual level for just one. I mean, his works are marvelous. His works are wonderful and they're perfect. And if His works are this good, think about how much bigger and better and greater He is! Right? If we can't even understand it, much less replicate it, and He designed it all without any effort or hardship. And not just one thing, He created all living things. Right? And if you can believe that He did that, that's because you're a your child of God. Right? That is something that He's given you. The belief on Him to believe that He framed the world. Hey, Marvelous. You know, uh, What's the name of that production studio that makes all the superhero movies? Marvel. Right? And what are they trying to do? They're trying to explain a world without God. Right? And even these, you know, larger than life characters who've got all these you know superhuman strengths and whatnot, what are they they're all flawed. They're all failing. They 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 can't, no matter what they come up with in these movies. They can't come close to matching the perfection and holiness and might and grandeur of your God. Right? Okay, end of tangent, going back. 1 Peter chapter 2. He's called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, which in time past were not a people. right? He says you're a nation. Well, in time past you weren't a people, but now we're the people of God. Who's He writing this to? He's writing unto Gentiles. Those who naturally God had not said, you know, Abraham and his descendants, that was Israel, that was the Jews. Those, it was the one spoken people, that's who the oracles were given to. The oracles mean the commandments, right? Everyone else was just on the outside, right? You were not a people of God. At least you didn't know it, right? And yet Jesus came, and through the rest of the Scriptures, there was a revealing of that This promise of this Savior was broader than just this one group of descendants of Abraham, but to all of his people across all kindreds, nations, and tongues. You were not a people before, but now you're a people. You get to know that you're a people, right? And are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy, right? So because that's true, because you're chosen by God, that you're His adopted child, you're made into a brother of the king, you have this role of being a priest to worship and praise Him, and you're, uh, you've been particularly purchased by Him to show forth the praises of Him. You weren't a people, now you're a people. You didn't have mercy, now you have mercy. Now what? Live it out. Live unto righteousness. You have ample motivation to serve and worship your God in a way that glorifies Him. Okay? You're not trying to earn your way to heaven. You can't do it. Right? you got nothing to add to your roster. Alright? Christ has done it all. He's done the work. You will be with Him in heaven. But how you live here, you can either glorify Him or you can bring Him shame. With each decision, each word out of your mouth, each thought, okay? So that's your motivation because of what he's done and your gratitude for it and the role that you've been called to to give him praise. So that brings you up to verse 11. Dearly beloved, I love you. That's what Peter's saying. I love you so much. Dearly beloved, I beseech, I'm begging, I'm imploring you as strangers and pilgrims. Are you a stranger and pilgrim here below? If those things up there are true about you, yeah, you're a stranger, All right? We're just passing through. This is not our final destination. This is not our homeland. This is where we're just sojourning. Like Abraham, he he was given this wonderful promises of the land, but he spent his whole life in tents. The only land that he purchased was when his wife died. And then he got buried there too. But that was not the land, right? He was a picture for us of we're just passing through. Our time here is just like you're, you're, you're camping out. It's a long camp out. But you're getting to where you'll have roots, where a place has been prepared for for you, dearly beloved, beloved, I beseech you, I beg you, as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Who indulges in the fleshly lusts? That's what the disobedient do. That was the old way. The path that you were on before that he's pulled you off of, abstain from it. Let it go. Don't follow it any longer. All right. And uh, it goes on. Having your conversation... Oh, excuse me, I left it. Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. There is an internal conflict within every child of God. On one hand, you will have the new man, one who has been born again by the Spirit, the one who will never lead you or give you a desire to sin. Never. And then you have your old man, who is still there. And he continues... To battle and desire the things of the world, and desire things. Of the world. You wonder why do I struggle when I see that F one fifty going down the road? That's so good. <laughs> it ain't the thing. It ain't, it's not the thing of the Holy Spirit, right? <laughs> that's my carnal self. Man, you know my truck that overheated the other day. That sure would be nice to have one that wouldn't do. Right? I don't need that. But that's that's the old man. That's that's just a silly example of how you will battle that. That is our nature. You are you are weird, right? Peculiar that <laughs> you have a dual nature. Those who are not elect, not born again, they don't struggle with that. Okay? That's not something that's part of the reason they can't understand why you're struggling. But when you engage and indulge in those <coughs> fleshly lusts, they war against your soul. There is a conflict. It makes your walk with God harder. Okay? Go to Galatians chapter 5. Letter to the Galatians, chapter 5. 10,000 foot overview of Galatians is Paul is very upset with his church because some folks have come in and told them Christ is good, but you have to be circumcised and you have to keep the law too, otherwise you can't be saved. And so most of the letter is refuting that and letting them know Christ is enough. You don't have to do the things of the flesh in order to make Christ's work effective. Okay, Galatians 5... Starting in verse 16 says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, live out the things that are pleasing to the Spirit of God. This means walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit. they are pulling contrary to each other. One says, go and serve the things of God, the other is exact opposite. Go and serve yourself. The things that make you feel good, that have a temporary pleasure moment, that are going to be sour and bitter and horrifying to you later. They're going to pull against each other. The flesh lusted against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another, so that you cannot do the things that you would. Right? You cannot be perfectly straight down the line without any pulling back and forth. Right? You've always got this kind of... I feel like we kind of bounce on the two sides of the road. Right? Which one am I listening to at the moment? You cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest. Okay, well, you talk in general terms, you know, the lust of the flesh. Well, what does that mean? What are things that I should be on the alert for, not to give into, to, to abstain for? Well, it gives you a real specific list. Okay? The works of the flesh are manifest. They are these. Adultery. This is any form of sexual sin that breaches the faith and trust between you and your spouse. It goes on and gets to a broader word, which is fornication. That is any form of sexual sin, whether you're married or not. The only form of sexual activity that is blessed and condoned by the Scripture is within the marriage bed. That's it. Period. Anything outside of that, and you are engaging in the lust of the flesh. And it will war against your spirit. Uncleanness, that which is lewd, defiled, lasciviousness, that is a strong desire for that which is, well, it actually a lack of self-restraint, particularly with regard to um, bodily passions. Often includes in that sexual desires, lasciviousness, not having self-restraint. If temperance and moderation are a fruit of the Spirit, this is the opposite of that, of indulging beyond anything that's right and reasonable. Hmm? Idolatry, anything that you love more than God, whether that's bowing down to a physical statue, yeah, don't do that. But anything that you put in your life as being outranking God, I would serve God and do this that I know to be right, but I have to, blop. that's the idol. Witchcraft, um, don't play with that, built in within that word, there's also an idea of abuse of drugs. Um, That was, we can talk about that if you want to look at the Greek, but hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, seditions, murders, heresies. These are a bunch of different words to describe any form of strife and contention, um, you know, that emulations, that's that's a competitive desire. I'm going to beat you no matter what it takes. Right? Why? Because it because it lifts me up. Most of these are motivated by pride and serving self. Blessed flesh. Emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies. A heresy, literally that's a sect. S-E-C-T. A division within. Here we got one camp over here, one camp over here. Envyings, murders, Drunkenness, revelings, reveling is not a word we use very much. You could say carousals, not a word we use very much either. Um, Excessive um, use of merrymaking, whether that's entertainment seeking, whether that's pleasure seeking, whether that's partying, whatever it is. All those overindulgences in the flesh, those are the lusts of the flesh of which I have told you before and I have told you in time past that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Those are the patterns of life of the children of disobedience and the children of wrath. That's not what you need to model yourself after. We need to be transformed by the Holy Spirit, not conformed to the model that we see around us. Opposite hand would be what are the fruits of the Spirit? Well, that's love, joy, peace. Long suffering. That's the opposite of all those others, emulation, wrath, strife. Well, I'm got no patience for that. No. You're being led of the Spirit would be long suffering. And that's that's a stronger word than just patience, right? Long suffering. And that, that implies there's some suffering. And you're patiently bearing through it, right? Gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance against such there is no law. Okay. Let's go back to 1 Peter. So abstain from those fleshly lusts which war against the soul. And we're still in the same sentence here. It says, having your conversation honest. Your conversation, that word means behavior. Not just what you're saying, but your whole manner of life. Having your behavior honest. And that word honest is interesting. Literally it translates to beautiful or good. Virtuous. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles. Now, he's writing the Gentiles, so who, well, who's he talking about here? Well, if you look up that word, it means ethnos. Have you ever heard the word ethnicity? It means races, tribes, peoples. It's kind of a broad category, but it means everybody, right? But specifically in this context, he's talking about even among non-believers having your conversations, you're abstaining from fleshly lusts, you're having your conversation, honest, beautiful, virtuous, among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. <coughs> All right. So what are you doing now? You're doing the good works. You're having your conversation honest, you're abstaining from the fleshly lusts, and these non-believers will look at you And hate you. And call you an evildoer now. But on the day that Christ comes back, you know what they're going to have to do? Glorify God because you faithfully served Him and continue to do the good works despite them. Isn't that crazy? That by you continuing to do good and faithfully serving God, because that's what He's told you to do, even when you don't get the positive reinforcement from those around you, those that hate you the most and talk the worst about you are still going to have to glorify God because his servant was faithfully doing what he called was called to do. Okay, They shall glorify God, to God in the day of visitation. And visitation means inspection. Inspection day. Right? Well, that's, that's the judgment day. That's when Christ comes back. All right. So they are going to be observing how you react. And they may not give you any ounce of positive feedback. All they may all do is slander you and speak evil of you and hate you. But one day they will have to glorify God for your faith. So, are there any examples in Scripture of somebody doing the right thing and then getting slandered for it? Yes, yeah, I like full of it. Acts chapter 16, we've talked about Paul at Philippi. There was the girl who was possessed with a demon being used as a fortune teller. After many days, Paul finally turned around because she had been following around and saying, you know, you know, these are the, the men who serve the Most High God. He turned around and he cast out the demons. And what happened? <coughs> their masters got really mad because now they've lost the opportunity to use her as a fortune teller. And so they draw him to the judges. And what do they say against him? This is Acts 16 and verse 20. Here's their charge. These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city. What have they done? Well, they'd been preaching down by the river, <coughs> praying, and they'd healed somebody who was possessed with a demon. They exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe being Romans. Was any of that true? No. Did it stop him from saying it? No. Did it deter Paul from continuing to do the right thing? No. Uh, how about... A few chapters later, when Paul goes down to Jerusalem and he's going to the temple, he's going to worship, and some folks from Asia who had heard about his ministry um, find out he's in there. Um, The Jews, which were of Asia, when they saw him in the temple, stirred up all the people and laid hands on him. He's in there praying, right? He's not teaching, he's not rabble rousing. And here's what they're crying out. This is Acts chapter 21, verse 28. Crying out, Men of Israel, this is the man! that teacheth all men everywhere against the people. Well, if you're teaching that, the God, that Jesus saved the Gentiles, well, they're saying that. Well, that's against Israelites, against the people. And the law and this place and further brought Greeks into the temple and hath polluted this holy place. You couldn't bring Gentiles inside, but had He done that? No. None of those things were true. For they had seen Him in the city with Trophimus Trofif- 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 and Ephesians, whom they had supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. So they'd seen him with this guy earlier. Well, naturally, he must have brought him in, and so we're going to accuse him of that too. And all the city was moved, and the people ran together, and they took Paul, drew him out of the temple, and forthwith the doors were shut, wham, and they went about to kill him. And they would have had the Romans not interceded. It's not good when you've got martial law to have a mob on your hand. It looks bad for the military leaders, and so they came in and broke it up. But here you've got Paul on at least two occasions, not do anything evil, and yet he is slanderously charged. And he's going to get whooped and beaten up severely for it. Even those folks, on the last day, are going to have to glorify God. Okay? So, if we're to be doing these good works... Not on a merit based system of trying to earn my way into heaven, but out of gratitude for what Christ has done and the role that he's put me into, what does that look like? Well, fortunately, Peter gets pretty specific. If we left it in vague generalities, we might come up with our own things. But we've got to look at what Scripture says. What does that cornerstone look like? So, what are these good works and what context? Well, the first context, it starts with in being a citizen being a model citizen. So, starting in verse 13, what are these good works that are going to be seen and beheld, even though I'm being spoken against as an evildoer, because I'm a follower of Christ? Verse 13 says, Submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. So your first context is in the citizen of whatever country you're in. This is written to folks in northern Turkey, still under Roman law. Caesar's the head. They had military folks all up and down the food chain, a bunch of different bureaucrats, all these different laws. Wicked and evil time, and even at that time, what was instructed was submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Okay? Obey the laws and rules created by men. Not because you're fearful of what they'll do to you if you disobey, but rather because your master tells you to. You please God by submitting yourself to To the roles of men. Is there an exception to this? Yes. It's a relatively narrow one. But it's when the rules of man tell you you cannot do something that God requires. Or it requires you to do something that God forbids. This is a narrow exception. This is not, well I don't really like that and so I'm not going to do it kind of attitude. This is uh, like Shifer and Pua. You remember them? That was the name of the midwives back in Egypt. Pharaoh, ruler, king at that time, told them, I don't like all these boy Israelites being born, Hebrews, kill them. When they're born, if it's a boy, kill them. And they ignored him. They lied to him. They disobeyed that law of man. Why? Because that would have been dishonoring to God. Okay. That would have required them to do something that they knew to be absolutely wrong, them individually. Okay. Same thing with Moses' parents, right? He ignored, uh, they ignored the command to kill Moses and they hid him in the basket. okay So that's, that's an, a, a clear direct example of you must do something that God requires you not to do, All right? Other end of the spectrum would be requiring you not to do something that God tells you to do. That would be, the example would be the apostles being told, you may not preach and teach in the name of Jesus Christ. Right? That's, it. That's found in Acts. And what do they have to respond? Even though they're beaten and they're thrown in jail, they must say, we have to obey God more than men. Right? That's the trump card. So if someone, if there was a law passed that I could no longer preach, then y'all I have to ignore it. If there's a law passed that you can't meet together. Now, does that mean we have to meet in this church? Not necessarily. We can meet wherever. But the that's the exception. That's the point. Those are clear and bright line exceptions. Of These are things that God requires you to do or has required you not to do, and they're trying to force you the other way. There, I can't think of any ex- scenarios in our country with the exception of maybe some COVID policies where that has gotten to that point here. I can't. We can talk about it if you come up with some, but for the most part, it's things that we don't like. And indirect things of, well, I don't want my taxes to pay for that because that's ungodly. Pay your taxes. And there's, there's a specific verse on that. Submit yourselves. That's the general rule. Remember, the role is we're doing good works despite being hated. Despite the world saying, you're a terrible person, you're a follower of Christ, you're a liar, you're a cheat, you're whatever, continuing to do the right thing. So the general rule for us is submit. Submit ourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. What's your motivation? For the Lord's sake. This seems pretty clear to me. Our carnal self... (laughs) Often wants to go, no! That guy's got the wrong letter by his name. I ain't submitting. All right? Doesn't say that. Whether it be to the king is supreme, so it's not just submit to the top dog, or unto the governors, unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evil doers. It's everybody up and down the food chain. As a model citizen, as a citizen of a greater country, we're here passing through as pilgrims as sojourners. Our Father has told us to behave ourselves and to follow the laws, whether it's given by the King, President, of Congress, whether it's all the way down to the County Commissioner and Mayor, whatever it is. The general rule is unless it very clearly contradicts what you have to or cannot do by Scripture, the general rule is to submit yourself. Okay? that makes sense? Is that hard to do? Yeah. You know, if they told us, you cannot pray, they did that to Daniel, right? 30 days. Well, Daniel, it's just 30 days. Maybe, maybe you just wait in 30 days, and then it'll be lifted, it'll be fine. That's one kind of pacifying attitude that you get squishy. We don't want to deal with the consequences of it, and so we'll avoid it. That's a time when it's time to take the stand and accept the consequences, Like the three Hebrew children, right? They were told, you must bow down to an idol. They knew, we must not bow down to an idol, but you've been told, and if you don't, you'll be burned to death. You will die. right? What did they say? They said, there's a God who can deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he chooses not to, he's still going to deliver us out of your hand through the death, right? They were willing to accept the consequence that men were going to give to have that disobedience. Is that hard? Yeah. There's a cost for following Christ. Is the cost very low for us right now? Yeah. Like next to nothing. This is the weird part of history. Okay, It's weird because for the most part, if you were to say the things that we believe out loud, you would really upset somebody. And somebody in power... For you to claim, well, there's someone who outranks me, and you're going to listen to them rather than listen to me. right? That's that's really offensive to most governments and most forms. Like, We live in a time where we are so exceptionally blessed that we have almost no cost to following Christ. And so when there is a cost, we get kind of startled. Right? And think, this is weird! You we go on later in chapter 4 of 1 Peter. It says, Beloved, think it not strange. This is 4.12. Concerning the fiery trials which is to try you as though, as though some strange thing happened unto you. If you have trials and persecutions because you're following Christ, you say, don't think that's strange. That's par for the course. Not only is it given unto you to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake. Right? so submit yourselves to every ordinance of man whether it be the, for the Lord's sake whether it be the king all the way up the pecking order or whoever on down the line governors as to them that are sent by him for the punishment of evil doers and for the praise of them that do well okay why Lord why do I have to submit I, these are wicked evil men for so is the will of God that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. That his servants are going to continue to serve him and do what's right, even when they're being charged and slandered and having all these beratements, being berated by foolish and ignorant men. He said, you're just going to have to put them to silence. I think it's uh, Titus that talked about, let them be ashamed that they can't come up with anything evil to say against you. Don't give him ammo, right? You ever heard that? Don't make it easy for your enemies to say, well, he's not, he's not really following God. He claims it, but look at this, 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 and this. Don't give him any ammo. He can take pot shots at you, but don't, don't give him... Well, here's, here's the examples of where I'm falling short, right? Continue to do good. For, this, for so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, all right? and that sentence continues, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Are you under the Old Testament ceremonial law? No. You're free. You're free from that. Christ has come, and He has purchased you out of a bondage and slavery. You're not under the law. And in one sense, you're not even under the laws of this world. But the one that bought you tells you to obey those things. Okay? So you have a liberty in him, but it's not a liberty to do whatever you want. Right? Y'all ever heard of the sovereign citizen movement? Okay. These are chuckleheads who take some really distorted views on law and basically say, I'm here in this country, but your laws don't apply to me. You know? I'm, I'm a member of the Moroccan empire that used to... It's am just It's all garbage. But the point being is that they say, I'm free from this law, and therefore I can do whatever I want. You say I can't bring guns in the courtroom. Guess what? I'm bringing guns in the courtroom. I, you know the, the, They say there's no consequences. There's nothing that's over them. Right? That's the model he's saying, don't do that. If you're my servant, and yes, I've set you free, but it's not for you to act like a fool. It's not to act like any old way. But rather, it's to be my child. And to act like my child. Alright? Don't have that freedom be the cloak that you wrap around as you're going around. Say, well, I'm free! Christ has made me free! I can do whatever I want. And all that's doing is covering up your maliciousness on the inside. All right? It shows up. It lives, You live it out. Okay? You're called to that liberty. And if we go back to Galatians just for, just for a second. A couple verses before where we read before. It talks about liberty. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For as it is written, cursed is everyone that hanged on a tree. When Christ was crucified on that tree, He became a curse for us. Right? We were cursed under the law. By our sins, we were cursed. Right? There was the blessings and there was the curses under the law. The blessings were for obedience, the curses were for disobedience. We disobeyed in every way possible. We disobeyed, and yet Christ literally became the curse for us, suffering that uh, terrible death on the tree, that the blessings of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak after the manner of man, though it be a man's covenant. Yes, sir. all right. I'm in verse I'm in the wrong chapter. We could go on that one, but I won't take that tangent. Go to chapter 5. Oh. Verse 13. I, was like, I really didn't think it was that far down to get to liberty. <laughs> Galatians five thirteen. For brethren, we have been called unto liberty. <laughs> only, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. But by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word even this thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself okay so yes you've been made free from that but you've been freed to love to live a love of peace and harmony among your brothers and sisters being long-suffering and patient all those things that is manifestations of love your love for Christ and he says if you love me keep my commandment What's the commandment? This commandment I gave you, that you love one another as I have loved you. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. Right? That's the hallmark of being a disciple of Christ, of being obedient to him, is loving him, pleasing him, and loving his people. All right? So this is the will of God, going back to first Peter 15, verse 2. For this is the... Uh, chapter 2, verse 15. This is the will of God, that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness but as the servants of God who do you belong to you belong to God you are his blood bought servant and when you're a servant you have to care what your master desires and that's what you pursue okay as free not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness but as the servants of God all right let's get one more verse verse 17 honor all men love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Remember, we're still talking about model citizens here, right? We're talking about government submitting yourself. Why? Because you're going to put to silence ignorant men. That you're not going to give them ammo. They can't even think of a bad thing to say because you're continuing to faithfully serve. Let them, let them come up with lies that are just that lies. Don't let them tell tell anything that's true and wrongful. As free, honor all, honor all. Uh, that's whether that's uh, leaders whether that's your fellow citizens, whether that's believers, whether that's unbelievers. Y'all, we should be the most respectful folks on the planet. Right? You ever seen some Christians act ugly on Facebook? You ever seen some Christians act ugly in person? And brothers and sisters, this ought not be. We should be respectful not because necessarily who we're talking to is worthy of our respect, but because the one that we report to said to. All persons. You can see this um, in Acts 23. Paul was brought before um, a trial there in Jerusalem and... um, he started to give his defense, and he'd only gotten like one sentence into it before you know somebody tells the guy there to smack him in the face. Paul earnestly beholding the council said, "Men and brethren, I've lived in good conscience before God until this day." Whack! The high high priest Ananias commanded them that stood by him to smite him on the mouth, and then Paul said to them, "God shall smite thee, thou whited wall, for sittest thou to judge me after the law, and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law." And what did they tell him? They that stood by said, Revilest thou God's high priest? Then Paul said, I wist not. I knew not, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. Even Paul lost his temper there. And when his enemies reminded him, or let him know who he was speaking about, even then he had to admit that I'm not to speak evil of the rulers of my people. And that's what's specifically talking about the high priest, but this applies to us as well. Um, it doesn't matter what letter falls after somebody's name, whether they're good and godly or not. Um, I want you to think about the talking heads and what they would describe, let's say, someone like Nancy Pelosi. Okay, She's not someone that I would say is a role model for any of us. But the terms they'd used to describe that individual, were they honoring and respectful? These are not things that we should copy and emulate. That's being conformed to that, this world. That's giving in to the envying, strife, competition, heresies, all those things that fuel your passions and anger. That's not the fruits of the Spirit. That's not what we focus on. What are we told to do for our leaders? Pray for them that they can make good and godly decisions, that the Lord can change their heart because he can, and we know that the heart of the king is in whose hand? The Lord's, right? That's Proverbs. I want to say 21, maybe 11. The heart of the king is in the Lord's hands, and as a river he turneth it whithersoever he will. Now, rivers. Long term, they change paths, right? If you look at a map of a river like Chattahoochee from 200 years ago, it would look different from how it is today. right? So God can change somebody slowly, like a river over 100 years, or you see somebody come through a flood stage. He can do it suddenly. An right? example for that, how about King Cyrus? He was a Persian king, and what did God give him the clear and unmitigated desire to do? right? to send these people, the Jews, back to where they came from and to rebuild the temple and oh yeah, I'm going to pay for it. You think that came up with him that on his own? What well, was striking to do that? Nothing. <clears throat> God, the heart, is, the heart of the king is in the Lord's hands. Well, that includes our leaders. Okay, But why are we praying for him? Praying that we may have a quiet and peaceable life. Okay, So, if we are going to be model citizens servants of our king we need to apply this right? we need to live it out we need to not give in because what do the talking heads on TV want you to do they want you to be angry why because you watch more of their stuff right? strong passions lead you to do things that they want you to do right? don't give in to anger and fear fear, fear is a powerful motivator for people Do anyone in this room have anything to fear? I mean, we do. We get fearful. But do we really have anything to fear? This is an existential crisis. You know what existential means? It means you may not exist anymore. There's a lot of people who have a lot of fear of existential crises. And they manufacture them and they want you to do things because of it. Do you have to fear about anything that causes you not to exist anymore? Well... For attitudes like Paul, well, to live is Christ. As long as I'm here, I get to serve Christ. If I don't exist in this world, right? If I die, what's the net result? Infinite gain. <laughs> I'm so much better off, right? Is there anything you as men can use to destroy this world? Not one second toward the Lord wipes it out, right? He gets to pull the plug on it. He gets to have the fire, fire firework show. Everything, it's in his control. So, do we have to be fearful about anything? Well, what about my children? What world are they going to grow up in? The same God who's been controlling and guarding and keeping His people through all the years since the Garden and before is going to continue to be on the throne through their lives. Right? We have nothing to fear because we know who's in charge and we know the great love that He has for us. So, what do we do here now? We serve. We praise. We worship Him. We're kind of like in the waiting room, waiting to get to the real. And so, he's given us instructions and guidance of how we do that. How do we serve here? Well, Let's get into our Word and then start applying it. Will you do it perfectly? Not a chance. Is that an excuse not to try? Absolutely not. All right? Do corn crops grow up overnight? No! Right? It takes time and nurturing and water. And encouragement, and there's a that's why we're described as growing, right? It's a process, and the Lord's given the increase, he gets all the credit. But we need to continue as we're serving him to be mindful of what he said. Look to that cornerstone. How did Christ do it? What did he say? And then work on implementing that over and over and over and over and over and over again until he calls us home. Thank you.